everyone, and welcome to the eighth episode of the Roots to STEM podcast, a podcast where we talk to scientists about the paths they've taken to get where they are today and the lessons they've learned along the way. I'm your host, Steph Katie. You'll also hear my co-host, Maggie Warren, in this episode. Maggie had her qualifying exam this week, so she's taking some much-deserved rests, but she'll be back with us soon. This is a very special episode because we have our first engineer on the podcast today. We'll be hearing from Chris Perez, who is a mechanical engineering PhD candidate at Stanford. On his journey to grad school, Chris has learned a lot about the power of community, the value of good mentorship, and the importance of taking care of yourself. One of my favorite things that Chris talks about in this episode is that it's never too late. So if you're out there listening to this and think it's too late for you to pursue whatever goals you have, I hope hearing this interview with Chris will change your mind. So now, here's our interview with Chris. Hi, Chris. Thanks for being here and welcome to the Roots to STEM podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No problem. So first, let's start out with, can you just introduce yourself to us and tell us who you are, what your job or your position is, and a little bit about the research that you do? Yeah, so I'm uh, Chris Perez. I'm a fourth year PhD candidate in mechanical engineering, um, working with Professor Goodson. Basically, what I do is um, I do nanoscale heat transfer. So a lot of our efforts lie in basically measuring with laser-based techniques, uh, the properties of materials and basically evaluating them uh, for nanoelectronics and other like energy applications, stuff like that. Okay, great. Yeah. Is there something that, or what sorts of practical applications do these have that people might be more familiar, people including myself, yeah, yeah. <laughs> might be more familiar with? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, so right now there's actually a huge um, kind of a war going on between like the huge semiconductor companies. So like Intel, Qualcomm, TSMC. Um, so all these companies are basically um, trying to optimize their silicon chips in such a way where they're they're basically as energy efficient and as like least power consuming as possible. And that's a lot of applications like in your life, like in terms of like your computer, if you've ever been in a hot climate with your phone, iPhone, for example, um, it'll tell you like this phone is too hot, like you mm-hmm. can't operate it at all. Um, and not only is that inconvenient, but it can actually like really have some like life or death consequences, for example, like military applications or, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's, it's an emergency and you can't really use your technology because it's it's not very hot or it's too hot outside or too cold outside too. Uh, so there's a lot of like temperature considerations and a lot of um, sort of fine tuning of materials. And it's just really cool because um, at the base of it, you're messing around with basically electrons and like big, like very like quantum particles. <laughs> and to see those have such a huge effect, like in, in, in technology that you interact with every day, is just really cool to see. Uh, yeah, that is yeah. really cool. That so what so does... Cool. Um, like a day of research look like for you, like oh, man. You know, physically, well, like, are you <laughs> in a lab, like working with machines? Are you working with a computer? Um, yeah. what does it look like? Um, so I guess it depends from like from lab to lab, but I guess in mine, uh, it, so I'm, I'm like kind of 30% like modeling, like computer work simulations and then 70% experiments. So personally, I like really working with my hands. I really like getting in the lab and like, you know, touching things and making sure and aligning things and taking measurements and basically uh, making them as, as clean as possible. That's mm-hmm. something I, I enjoy. So typical day for me it would just be, uh, you know, waking up in the morning, like doing my morning routine and then going to the lab, like in person, uh, basically making sure all the electronics are, you know, the way they're supposed to be running, taking some measurements for the day. And usually I have like, I don't know, I have a list of basically collaborators that give me, give me materials to measure, like, Hey, measure, measure this, like, what does it look like? And, um, basically to take measurements and while I'm taking measurements, I, you know, either work on papers that are, that I'm like doing at the moment or, you know, run some simulations or something. 
and then um, just constantly take measurements. And then sometimes, you know, their measurements are good <laughs> and I don't need to do anything. Right. Uh, but other times it's like, uh, you gotta like debug a lot. Like, Oh, why, why is this behaving this way? Is this like actually the physics going on or is it just my measurement sucks? Like <laughs> do I need to align stuff or yeah. So it's a lot of troubleshooting and it's very, it was in the beginning, it was very overwhelming and very time consuming because you know, you're learning mm-hmm. and nobody really, there's not like a manual to tell you like, Oh, if this happens. And, um, so yeah, it's a lot of learning. It's very frustrating at times, but mm-hmm. every day it's like a new challenge. And that's, I don't know, it's, it's a love-hate relationship, I think. Yeah. So how did you first get interested in, in mechanical in engineering or engineering in general? Yeah. Oh God. Um, oh man, well, that's kind of deep. Okay, so I guess through my dad. Uh, so my dad is, he, I don't know, he always has this kind of engineering side to him, like where he, understands like how things work more or less, but he doesn't really know the physics, physics behind it because he never really you know, took anything, <laughs> take these classes or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess when I was young, uh, you know, growing up, we didn't have a lot of money and my dad would not want to like spend money on a mechanic or like an, some, an electrician or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So he sort of, I was like his sidekick and like, you know, figuring out how, how cars work or how like, you know, the electricity in your house works. Um, plumbing and all that stuff. And he's a construction, he's a carpenter by trade. So he, he knew a lot of like stuff, you know, like hands-on stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was cool, like, you know, being there with him and then sort of him, you know, troubleshooting like how things work. And all this was just to save money. But at the end of the day, it was, um, it was really useful. <laughs> so I yeah. think that's what really got me started into, you know, like how, how things work and sort of asking deeper questions that he necessarily didn't know how to answer at the time. Um, but that sort of got the, the spark ignited, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so what did you do? Did you study engineering in college? Yeah. So I, yeah, so I started, I, I'm a transfer student. So I didn't go to um, do my bachelor's right away. I did three years in community college before. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I remember in community college, it was, it wasn't like in high school, I, I was just a terrible student. Like I didn't want to go to college at all. Um, but I remember thinking like, uh, so after high school, I, I worked with my dad, like in construction. And I remember then I was like, I really liked fixing stuff. And I really liked the aspect of knowing how things work and opening tools up and seeing how they work and stuff like that. Um, so at, in community college, I was also doing that like simultaneously while working. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, oh yeah, I'll be like a, an auto technician or something. And you can do like, basically the path of least resistance. Like you can do like a six month program or something like that. I remember that was my goal. Um, just to get like an associate's degree or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the more I sort of, you know, got into it, the more I, I met professors that sort of saw something in me and like, Hey, you, you really like this stuff. You really like think differently. You should like keep going. And I remember seeing like the list of classes that I had to take to like transfer. <laughs> and I was like, Oh my God, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to do this. Like, this is so many classes. Like how am I ever going to do this? Uh, but yeah, they kept um, encouraging me to do it. And I was like, all right, I'll do it. Um, and I, just to give you a background, like I did not know math. Like I, <laughs> like I hated math. I, I failed math like three times in high school. Like <laughs> I just hated it. And I didn't take physics at all in high school. Um, and then chemistry, I didn't take this chemistry at all. So all this was like extremely new to me. So it was very, um, community college was basically like a huge step for me intellectually because I didn't know any of that stuff. And um, a lot of these, you meet a lot of people in community college that are either like in the same boat as you are or like, you know, some of them were in high school and they didn't have the financial resources to like, you know, go to four year, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, in community college, I met like a lot of different people 
from all walks of life, from all different like sort of like starting levels. And that was cool because like I realized, hey, hey, I'm not alone. I'm not like completely incompetent. Like maybe I can get up to that level. Um, and that's sort of, you know, that along with the professors was what motivated me to keep going and to keep basically um, just crossing off those classes, off, the, off that list uh, to the point where I could actually transfer and I ended up transferring to UCLA. And by then I knew like uh, I wanted to be an engineer. I actually took like in high school, no, I think it was a community college. I took a class called, um, what was it? Uh, professional development or something like that because mm-hmm. I was so lost in, in what I wanted to do uh, that I actually took a class to basically take a bunch of tests to, to see how my mind worked and yeah the number one on the list was engineer <laughs> and cool. then I remember I, I remember thinking like oh there's no way I'm an engineer <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think and then number three was like a like a product technician or something like that I'm like oh that seems more reachable so that was my goal at the time uh, but as yeah. I mentioned like things change so yeah so what was the transition like from community college to UCLA? Oh man, in community college, everybody's like chill. Like nobody, everybody's trying to help each other out, you know, and then you have people that work full time on the side. So, you know, they know the struggle. Yeah. But in, in UCLA, it was like, people are there just to, just to study. Yeah. <laughs> like that's their sole like purpose in life, right? Um, and then all the people there are like younger or like, you know, at least like 18, 20 ish, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so not only was I older, but I also had that sort of like, I was still working like with my dad, like on the weekends mm-hmm. um, while going there. And then I remember feeling like so um, oh, like overwhelmed and also like underprepared because people there were like extremely competitive. And that was such a different environment from community college. Um, and also the professors were just not as accessible. And also they didn't really seem as passionate about teaching. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, this is like extremely negative, but I mean, <laughs> it ended up being okay. Like, I think um, finding a community was extremely important, especially early on. Because um, I mean, you, you do feel after a while, like I, I felt like, oh man, I'm not gonna make it. And there were some friends I had that didn't, you know, and I, seeing that kind of like hit me like, oh man, like they're way smarter than I am. <laughs> like, should I leave? But um, no, like I think finding a community was something you have to do, I think, if, if you're confronted with that kind of like change. Yeah. Yeah. So who, like, what sorts of people was the community that you found and like how, what kept you going, I guess, when other yeah. people didn't necessarily. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So in the beginning, I remember uh, I got an email from UCLA SEED. It's called, it's called Center for Excellence in Engineering and Diversity, I think. I think that's the acronym. And um, they basically identify like very diverse students or people from like diverse backgrounds. Uh, so a lot of like black Latino kids. Um, so they identify them and they basically say, hey, you're invited to SEED. And what it is, it's basically like a, a resource for, for for a lot of people that, I guess, uh, come from like first generation, like FLI people, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's cool because not only do you get sort of, you know, uh, these mentors that run the program and they kind of know what's up. They, they know like your background and they know like, hey, like, you know, you should do this. They give you advice, basically, like really good advice. And um not only that, but I think uh, there's a lot of people in that program that have gone through all the classes that you have, so they can like give you, so they were also like sort of peer mentors in that sense. Mm-hmm. And you also had a lot of um, colleagues. So a lot of people in your year uh, that you could take classes together and you could study together and you can like do problem sets together <laughs> and you can, uh, yeah. So, so and you can, I, I know a lot of us actually room together. We, we got an apartment together and then we were all like studying there. And yeah, it was basically like a, a small group of people that, were really, you know, had similar backgrounds um, that were able to 
sort of, you know, work together and, and motivate each other uh, to study and, and do well, basically. So those were the kinds of people I associated myself with at the time. Yeah. Awesome. Did you, when you were at UCLA, did you start doing like research with faculty or I guess I don't totally know how that works for mechanical engineering. Honestly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when, when I started, I remember um, there was a summer like opportunity to do research with a professor. Um, I think they gave you like a stipend. It was like $4,000 or something. Like that. Mm-hmm. And at the time I was like, wow, $4,000. It's great. <laughs> um, and I was really interested at the time working with a professor. There's Professor Pallone, but he, he does like thermodynamics kind of stuff. And that was my favorite class, like my first year, basically. And um, I remember approaching him. I was like really nervous because I had never talked to him like outside of office hours or in class. Right. So I was like really nervous. I didn't know how I was going to ask him. Uh, but yeah, I just knocked on his door and I was like, hey, you know, there's this summer program. Like, do you think he didn't let me finish my sentence? He's like, yeah, sure. I'll take you on. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's a lot easier than I thought. Uh, so, yeah, I was like psyching myself out. And it's interesting because he later told me that he was also a first generation student uh, from France. <laughs> so he's a French professor. Um, but yeah, he, he basically was like, yeah, like I try to help out when I can. It was, it was really like cool seeing that. Um, but yeah, that, that's how I first got involved into research. And then he basically showed me like the ins and outs of what research is, like different kinds of research, um, like literature. I had no idea what literature review even was. And mm-hmm. <laughs> taught me that. And yeah, he basically showed me the ropes in the beginning. Nice. And did you stay working in his lab for a while or did you move around? Yeah. So um, I stayed with him the whole time there, basically. Um, after the summer was done, I was like, well, like, thank you so much. I guess I'll see you later. Um, but he's like, actually, do you want to keep working with me? And I'm like, sure. <laughs> like, it's really fun. Yeah. And he, he was able to set something up where I got like a stipend every quarter for doing research. So that was like additional money on top of on top of the, the assistance I was getting like to even pay tuition. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So how did you decide that you wanted to go on and get a PhD? So that was all a professor. So that was all Professor Pallone, the professor I was doing research with. That was all um, prof- other professors I had been talking to, um, especially Professor Pallone, though, because I think he knew me the most. He knew, knew the kind of work I was doing and basically said, like, you're going to get bored. Like, if you just go out and work like um, and that was that was kind of a tough decision for me because I remember talking to my parents about it. And I think for a lot of students, for a lot of people, I guess, in similar situations, I wouldn't recommend talking to your parents about it because <laughs> um, they they were really they were even opposed to me going to like UCLA to begin with, because they were like, why did you just work? Like, well, why are you going to spend like so much time? Um, not like let alone get a graduate degree because uh, they're like, you're, you're you already have a degree. Why don't you go work? Like, are you serious? Yeah. Um, but I guess I don't understand that, you know, this is something you can do bigger and better things um, if you just apply yourself and like stay with it a little longer. And um, I remember I, I had a job lined up and everything because I had been doing a lot of networking. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Professor Plo and he's just like, no, you should really consider like grad school. And I remember at the time I was like, all right, well, do you think I can get into UCLA? And then he's like, you're already here. Like, yes. <laughs> but but he's like, I actually recommend that you um, branch out Mm-hmm. to like other schools right um and i wasn't actually going to apply to stanford because i just didn't think i had it <laughs> it was in the cards or anything right yeah um but he he basically forced me to apply to stanford I'm like, all right, all right. <laughs> i applied and i and eventually got in and i was like so excited because oh yeah i didn't even think i was going to get to ucla like <laughs> let alone stanford I'm like, what? um but yeah he, he basically he convinced me that i had i thought in problems in such a way that 
was reminiscent of a grad student or like uh, someone with a with a graduate degree and he convinced me that getting a phd like the world is your oyster like you can literally do like any anything you want mm-hmm. and you can do really great things um if, if you just stick with it a little longer so that's what i did yeah yeah cool that was one of the questions that i had and i think mm-hmm. this is a lot of my own bias as a biologist where like i know the not bias but my own like you know realm of knowledge where i know the career trajectories for different things, but I'm curious right. to hear from you in your mind and like from what you've heard from other people, what sort of doors are open to you when you get like a PhD versus a master's versus a bachelor's in mechanical engineering specifically and sort of like what sorts of things you can do with each of those. Right. I think, uh, well, I had done internships uh, like in between like summers basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I remember asking this, like to every, every place I went to ask this, <laughs> I'm like, well, what's the, like, what's the trade-off between a bachelor's, master's, PhD? Yeah. And basically what I, what I saw firsthand was, um, the kinds of jobs you can expect as a bachelor's would be more like design work, basically optimizing a component or a part in, in mm-hmm. some kind of piece of technology, optimizing it to the point where like you literally cannot optimize anymore <laughs> without a complete radical redesign. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's, a, and people like really love that. Like I love that to some extent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's it can be very exciting. I know a few of my friends like just left after a bachelor's and they they love their jobs. And um, typically, it takes a while to from a bachelor's to sort of graduate to like a higher position in a company. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I mean it's not a bad route. I think it's I think it's a very very cool job that you can have. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I saw from the masters was basically if you're in a master's position or you have a master's degree, you can get a position where um, you basically have much more say in, in the design process. Like you're not just optimizing a part anymore. You're, you're deciding like how these parts actually come together and if the part is actually even necessary. <laughs> um, and a lot of times they, they have a lot more pull in terms of like decisions. Um, and they actually lead, they can lead like a, a team of engineers. So mm-hmm. you can become like what's called a, a, a lead. So you have like two or three engineers like below you or not below you, right? But you basically work with them mm-hmm. and um, they basically report to you and they tell you like, oh, this is what the design is looking like. Um, and they basically ask you for advice because at that point, I think you should have like some sort of expertise in a particular area um, where they can ask for your for your advice and input. Um, yeah, and then typically those, those uh, people with masters can actually rise up in the company or whatever company you're at um, a little a little faster because <laughs> they already have uh, they already have what's assumed to be I think like two years of experience two three okay. years of experience yeah and then with a PhD um, so a lot of people actually won't hire a PhD <laughs> a lot of companies right because you're yeah. sort of overqualified at that point um, yeah. <laughs> they don't want to pay you <laughs> yeah yeah exactly they'd yeah. rather pay a master's and then have yeah. them move up yeah um, but yeah usually with a PhD you're you're sort of more in the R&D side of it it seemed like okay. um, and it depends because I'm, I'm actually currently working also in national lab which hires almost exclusively phds mm-hmm. and what i hear i keep hearing people talk about is basically you have like two roads you can go down which is like a purely technical or a managerial route mm-hmm. um and the managerial route pays more <laughs> i don't know why that is <laughs> but huh. they get they get paid like a lot more actually um but i think you know it's, it's great to, to go down that route, but I think it, you start doing less and less technical things. I mean, you have to be versed in it somewhat, I think, mm-hmm. uh, in order to sort of, you know, like if something goes wrong, you, you don't want it, want it to be because you, you didn't really know like the technical issue at hand. Right. You want it to be 
like such like oh i did everything in my power to like really like help this along but it didn't work <laughs> yeah um but yeah but the technical path with a phd uh, you're basically like a you're like a pi almost mm-hmm. and you basically hire your own postdocs or you can't hire your own postdocs your own interns and you have sort of more of a direction in, in the kinds of things that you're doing mm-hmm. uh and by that i mean you you know you 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 can apply for funding uh within the company to explore like cool new things that interest you. And, you know, we, we complain a lot as PhD students, like the amount of writing that we do, but we, we're gonna have to keep doing it. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah pro- we're like proposals are in our future for sure. Like, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I think that's what I've seen in my experience. <laughs> yeah. So when you look back on like everything that you, has happened to get you to this point, are there any certain moments that were particularly like pivotal in your, career trajectory oh, where like things could have gone differently if you had made a different decision at this oh point. yeah yeah definitely i think um i'm trying to think what got me into community college to begin with i think it was that that was definitely a pivotal moment for me just even enrolling in community yeah. college um because like i said like i just wanted to be basically like my dad like work as a carpenter make decent money and then just you know do that um but i think pivotal moment in enrolling in community college was both realizing that I really liked fixing things and seeing like, oh, what if, you know, because carpentry is hard work, you know, and, and I've seen, you know, older people still doing that work and just like breaking their backs every day and yeah. um, just really having health problems <laughs> because they yeah. can't like, you know, their body can't keep up. Yeah. I remember thinking, I'm like, like, uh, like I can't see myself doing this like forever. Right. Um, so sort of making that connection saying like, oh, maybe I can fix, the, make, fix things. It'll be easier in my body. Mm-hmm. That and also um, a high school friend of mine was taking community college as well. And he basically, um, he's actually my, my best friend from high school. And he, his parents, I think were both Russian like physicists or something. <laughs> so he had this sort of background and he knew what's, what was up. Yeah. Yeah. I remember him saying like, yeah, you should take community college. You can at least get an associates and like be a, an auto tech. And I'm like, okay, cool. Um, so both realizing like me, myself realizing that, you know, I don't want to, you know, keep doing this like laborious work mm-hmm. uh, for the rest of my life. Um, and him sort of telling me, Hey, there's an alternative path called community college that you can do. Uh, so those two coming together was like a extremely pivotal. Point. <laughs> I yeah. think I'd be here without that. Right. Yeah. Um, that, and then also another moment was in while in community college, I remember my first year or two, I didn't really take it seriously. Cause I was like working, um, yeah, I was working full time and taking community college. So at the end, when I got there, I was like over it. Yeah. Um, but I remember when it came time to take like math, um, which I was like extremely because I had been told by teachers like you suck at math, <laughs> like you're just oh. not good at math. <laughs> or, yeah. Yeah. So like going into taking my first math class, I remember the, I think it was like algebra two or something like that. Um, and I remember I was so like traumatized. I'm like, oh, this is gonna be so bad. And I remember parking my car and I was like five minutes late already. And I looked down at the clock. I'm like, oh, I'm already five minutes late. I might as well just leave. <laughs> I was going to drop, <laughs> but I don't know what it was. I remember at that point I had already like sort of made up my mind that I wanted to be an engineer. And I remember thinking like, what kind of engineer am I if I just give up right away? Like, cause I had always thought of engineers as being like, oh, these like, you know, badass people that like solve problems. I'm like, I'm not going to get to that level. I'll just give up so easily. So I put my part, my car back in park, <laughs> got out of the car and actually went to class. And um, yeah, I think, you know, 
that was pivotal because I had I not done that, you know, God knows I would have yeah. <laughs> finished the program, right? So. Yeah. Wow. That's like, that's <laughs> impressive to just have the mental wherewithal to be like, no, I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah. So how do you take care of yourself? Like emotionally, yeah. mentally, physically, yeah. with like all the stresses of PhD life? I had a real problem with this in the beginning. I remember like my first first year, even going to my second year, I I just didn't stop. And and I remember always feeling like, oh, I'm gonna I'm be I'm behind. I'm like not up to where I should be. Like I didn't do well well enough on that test or whatever. Um and at the time I, I didn't really like really value wellness. Like <laughs> I I've I've heard it like I've heard that word like that that term sort of floating around, right? But I didn't really know what it meant. Um, until basically uh, at the end of my second year, I was like, you know, bags under my eyes. I was like, <laughs> I was just like not feeling like, like I really wanted to, to, to be here anymore. Yeah. And, you know, that was a far cry from like getting here. Like when I got here, I was so excited to like, you know, I'm going to take every class. I'm going to like, you know, do so much research. It's going to be great. And I remember like thinking like, this sucks. <laughs> like, why am I doing this? Yeah. Um, and I remember my fiance, uh, she's also in, in STEM. Okay. And um, she she did undergrad with me in UCLA, um, so we were both like sort of. That's how I met her actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember she she takes this stuff very seriously. She takes wellness very seriously. And uh, I remember her telling me like, you know, she was she was actually in undergrad at least. Uh, she would calm me down a lot, basically like go out to restaurants with me, and basically do like normal people stuff, <laughs> sort of get my mind off of like what I was doing, right? Because I yeah. <clears throat> I was very anxious with. with uh, expectations and failing right yeah um and she basically taught me you know there's you should really look after yourself like there's a play portion of, of your day-to-day as well um and i remember she was on the phone with me and she's like well why don't you like you know like you like drawing like i really, I really like art and something like that like why don't you draw like once in a while or why don't you like you know take a bike ride i also like bike riding mm-hmm. um or why don't you like you know wake up in the mornings and, and go to the gym because uh, I had been neglecting the gym for like a while. <laughs> and um, yeah, and, and what she sort of suggested or her advice actually really stuck to me. And at first I was like, all right, I'll like draw every three days or something like that. Mm-hmm. Spend like an hour drawing. Uh, and I did that. And then um, later on, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll wake up like and like two hours earlier than I usually do and go to the gym like first thing in the morning. So it's like out of my, out of my mind. Um, and yeah, that's what I did. And I sort of built up that habit. Like the first weeks really like sucked. They, like waking up in the morning because I, I was still going yeah. to sleep at the same time. Uh, but slowly, <laughs> yeah, slowly uh, my body was like, all right, you got to go to sleep like at 10, 30, 11 p.m. like at least yeah. um, to wake up early, right? So yeah, after a while I was like, mornings are like my time now. Like that's mm-hmm. the time, like nobody calls me because nobody's up, right? <laughs> I, can, I can go to the gym and just like, it's just me and the waist and that's it. And like my music. Yeah. And, um, every day I sort of like release my tension and it relieves, you know, all the stress. Like I had no stress at that time. Yeah. And, um, after that, I'm like, okay, like I feel good by myself because I accomplished something. <laughs> and not only did I accomplish something, but that something is actually good for my health. Mm-hmm. And also like all the nerves that I would you normally have are gone now. Cause I've exerted a lot of like physical energy. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I think that's what really helped me out. Yeah. That and also drawing. <laughs> yeah. So that's what I, what I do more or less. Um, and also I just love going to the grocery store. I love like getting <laughs> <out of food. laughs> <Me too. laughs> So what sorts of things do you draw? I'm curious. 
Um, so I like drawing things. I'm not really, I did draw people for a while. I just, I don't know. I, I just, uh, things are easier to draw for me. Like I just go outside and I draw like what I see basically. Yeah. Or sometimes I pull up a picture like on Google. I'm like, Oh, that's pretty cool. Like, let me try to recreate it. Um, a lot of times abstract stuff. So I, I sort of get like, I don't know if I'm feeling like, um, stress or something like that like broken glass comes to mind <laughs> and I draw like, you know, like abstract sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, not necessarily like a particular subject, just sort of like what I'm feeling at the time yeah. or what's, what's in front of me. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. I feel like on uh, one of the earlier podcast episodes, we were talking to Daniel about just int- incorporating art into STEM and not necessarily mm-hmm. that like everyone has to, if they are into art, have some sort of STEM aspect to it. But I think it's funny to me how many scientists I've encountered who are also really into art in some form. <laughs> and it's just very nice. Yeah, yeah, sure. I think um, I remember when I first started finding, like after high school, I was like, I was pretty set up being an artist. Actually, <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm going to be an artist. It's going to be great. Um, but yeah, I think um, mechanical engineering in particular, I think is really cool um, because you can, there's a huge design like aspect to it. Mm-hmm. And right now, especially like companies like Apple and like, you know, especially Apple, that's the main one that comes to mind, but they're very into like design that also looks really not like aesthetically pleasing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I really, really appreciate that. Um, but yeah, that was actually one of the classes in community college I took called mechanical drawing. Oh. And at the time I was like, this is so great. Like I get to draw and like, <laughs> and it's actually like, you know, a part or something that I can like design. I, don't know, I just thought it was really cool. Cool. So was it like drawing things for, you know, like if you were to draw like a blueprint of like how to assemble a machine or something like that, like that's mechanical drawing? Yeah, it was exactly that. So we had to learn sort of like perspective drawings and like how to sort of present as much information about like a part as we possibly could uh, based on like the angles of the part. So we had to like sort of pick pick a perspective and like draw it in such a way where it, it made physical sense and draw it from like all angles. So it's cool, yeah. And we use yeah. like computer aided drafting, it's called. So CAD to like to do that. Oh, that's yeah. what CAD is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard all my like engineer friends talk about CAD, but I never yeah. was like, that's, that's fine. Cool. So what advice would you have for someone who is interested in science or, you know, interested in getting a PhD or anything really, or like someone who's coming from a similar background as you or thinking about yeah. college, anything like that. Oh man. Advice. All the advice you have, Chris. Yeah. I would say start early. Oh my God. Cause I remember, oh, I was such an idiot. Like in, in high, high school was so easy. Like, and I still like didn't do well. Um, I think it's just choosing your friends like wisely. Cause I did not <laughs> choosing your friend wisely. And, and basically like, starting as early as you can, because it's getting more competitive out there. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, especially with someone, like if, if your parents aren't, or don't even have degrees or anything like that, they don't know like the game, like the academic game, right? So they don't know like, hey, every summer you should be doing extracurricular or you should be winning awards, you know, to, to get that resume up. Like they don't know that. Right. <laughs> like just, so I think that's really important. I think that that's being as competitive as possible, I think is really important. And also, um, you know, this is assuming the person that I'm giving advice to already knows that they want to go into like a technical field, mm-hmm. but it took me a while like to figure out that I wanted to even go in a technical field. Um, like I said, for the longest time, I wanted like to be an artist and I didn't really make the connection like of a technical field and like art. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't know that. They, I thought they were completely separate. Right. Um, but I think if you have, I think a lot of kids in particular, they get 
sort of stressed out and they get anxious because they're like, oh, I have to pick one thing to study like my whole life. Yeah. Um, and that's not necessarily the case. Like, I think that's why grad school is there for a large, like, you know, because you're not necessarily, I mean, yeah, you have like a, a base sort of topic that you're on, right? But there's so many ways that you can like incorporate it and you can incorporate, like I've seen people like incorporate music in mechanical like engineering, <laughs> like music, biology, like there's so many different things you can co- incorporate. And I think mechanical engineering, I think in particular is, I think the broadest of the engineering's or the engineering disciplines. Okay. Uh, um, so I think that works in your favor. Whoever wants to like study mechanical engineering, I think that, that works in their favor there. They don't necessarily have to be locked down to like one one thing, right? Because mm-hmm. it's so broad, you can literally go to anything you want. Um, but yeah, I mean, the advice I would say is start early. Um, also, pick your friends wisely. Um, identify mentors. So that was really important for me because um, I am in the beginning. My mentor was my dad, who like you know not only showed me like the be- the beginning parts of like you know how to fix things and the technical like nuts and bolts kind of thing. Uh, but also work ethic. Like he, he, he was constantly working. And I remember like uh, feeling so lazy when I was, <laughs> when I was around him. Cause he, he, he's just, his work ethic is incredible. Um, so basically having mentors that, you know, can highlight the best sort of aspects of, of you know, I mean, I don't know, we all work hard. Right. So I think work ethic is one of those things that spans all disciplines. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, finding mentors that, that can you know teach you things and also teach you like really good habits, I think is a good thing as well. Do you have any um, sort of practical advice in how to find mentors? M- mentors? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So depending, so they're everywhere. I've noticed like people love to help, like especially younger people. So if you're in high school, like a, a teacher or even like your friends, friends might have parents that are already like in the kinds of fields that you want to get into. Mm-hmm. I remember my friend, my best friend I was talking about, and his parents were like physicists or whatever. Mm-hmm. I actually interviewed one of them. <laughs> um, cool. Yeah, so it was part of that person development class. That was one of our assignments was to go out and identify like, you know, someone that we find their career to be like kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. And I remember talking to his dad. It was like super awkward at first. Because <laughs> I'm like, I've never talked to you this way. Um, <laughs> what do I even ask, right? And I remember looking up online, like what to ask in an interview. <laughs> Uh, and I just brought, printed out that list, brought it with me. And yeah, it was really eye opening. Um, but yeah, I, I've like network. That's basically like the essence of networking, right? Is to identify people um, that you could learn from at the end of the day. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, that's what I ended up doing is learning a lot from my friend's dad. <laughs> yeah. Like how to get a degree and like, cause before him, I had no idea what a bachelor's or master's or PhD was. Like <laughs> I just sort of like when someone was like, Oh yeah, you're going to get a bachelor's. Sometimes they'd say, oh, you're going for a master's? And I just nod my head and go, like, yeah, like, I, I just didn't know what they were talking about, right? So, <laughs> yeah. How do your, like, different identities that you hold influence how you, like, see yourself as a scientist and sort of, like, how you've experienced the world of academia? Oh, man. Yeah, that's, um, well, first and foremost, I mean, I'm, I'm, um, I'm Latino, right? So I think that... And particularly, my parents are from Mexico, uh, so I felt like any time I had, uh, I didn't really have any like Latino or like professors really. Like I remember when I saw one, I'd, I'd be super excited, but they'd never be teaching my class. <laughs> they'd, they'd always be like in humanities or something, right? Um, and if anything, that really motivated me because you know. It's, it, I know it's kind of messed up to think about this, but I remember thinking, looking around, like, oh God, I'm like the only Hispanic person <laughs> in this in this room, or like me of like two, right? 
Um, but I remember that it discouraged me at first because I'm like, oh, like, you know, like that must be for a reason. That must be because, you know, we're just not that great at math or, <laughs> or physics or something. But as I kept going, I'm like, that's stupid. Like it's it's um, as I kept going, it, it sort of motivated me even more because I'm like, if if I'm not going to be like taught by, you know, someone that looks like me, that I'm going to be that person teaching. Uh, and that's one of my like career goals now is to like, you know, stay in academia and eventually become a professor in STEM, hopefully. <laughs> um, so that was one of my goals and that's how that came to be. And and that's a huge identity, or I guess a, a part of my identity that really, that really, I guess at first kind of discouraged me, but now more encourages me mm-hmm. and I, I embrace it um, more so than I did in the beginning. But another thing was um, being first generation and low income, so the called fly students, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so those, and that's particular, particularly difficult because you, it's weird because um, even getting, even being in UCLA, like, was, how do I say this? It was like, like I made it, you know, like, <laughs> and I'm not sure why, because I remember think, feeling a sort of guilt too, because I was like, I went to community college and I felt, I've, I've seen so many, even in high school, like I, I had a lot of friends that didn't make the best decisions, um, that, you know, didn't have the best support structure, that didn't have the best influences. Um, and I remember considering them to be very intelligent, even more so than I was, right? Mm-hmm. So I felt a little, kind of like how, how like a, I don't know, like a veteran feels when, when they're like, oh, like I made it back and my friends, you know, like my friends yeah, didn't. Yeah, like survivor's guilt. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I felt a bit of that too, because I'm like, you know, Am I even deserving of this? Like, am I holding a spot that someone else, you know, much more deserving should really have? Um, yeah, and I remember that, that thinking that um, in the beginning. But as I kept going, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to use this to sort of push me forward. You know, uh, I'm going to use this to basically motivate and, and sort of encourage others to, to follow like a similar path. Um, mm-hmm. And that's sort of how I look at it now. Not so much like, you know, why me? But sort of like, you know, I had the, the luck of, of being where I am right now. And, and if I don't pay it forward, then I'm doing a huge disservice to like, you know, other first generation low income students, right? Um, so yeah, that, those are the two main like identities that, are, that really sort of shaped my perspective on academia and how I approach basically being a grad student. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I don't know if I answered your question. Yeah, no, that was a beautiful <laughs> <Fully. answer. laughs> That was great. You know, you talk about when you got to UCLA, you just felt like everyone around you was smarter than you and like maybe you kind of didn't belong. And then you kind of felt the same thing at Stanford. And I know that you had your fiance, you know, to, to like yeah. carry you along. And, you know, she had a heart, a very strong work ethic herself. So watching her example and stuff. But I just wonder, like, what else did you do? Like, what motivated you through that mindset to realize that you were deserving of being there and you could compete, quote unquote, with these competitive UCLA? And <laughs> yeah yeah so it was a lot of grit like i'm not gonna lie it was hard you know <laughs> it was really hard it's probably the hardest thing i had done up to that point um but i think the another thing that sort of um i see is like a very i don't know kind of like a, a good trait for me in particular was was not really focusing on what you're doing now but focusing on like the end goal um so that's another thing i picked up was basically not, you know, I might be suffering now, but at least I don't have to suffer like later on. And, and I can see my goal, like basically not concerning yourself so much with like 
how hard things are now, but sort of concerning yourself with like, like, oh, how great is it going to be when I get that degree? Or how great is it going to be when like I get to do this or do that? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, so constantly having like moving goalposts <laughs> to, to get you along, I think was really cool. It was really helpful. I love that. And then along that line, you know, coming from a, a first generation low income family, um, sometimes it's hard to dream big right? Because our parents have settled into their job and it pays the bills and they survive. Um, but you've got this big dream that you just kept, kept building on, right? And you've kept moving those fence posts over. Fence posts over. Um, and so I'm just curious, like, what is it that taught you to dream big? And how would you suggest someone in the barrio or in the valley, like, <laughs> yeah. learn how to dream big too, you know? Yeah, that was really, honestly, it's, it's still, um, it's still shocking to me, actually, how I did all this because not because like, you know, like bragging or anything, just because I didn't think it would happen. Um, like I remember. Yeah, I remember hearing about a Ph.D. like back in. I don't know if it was community college or high school, but I remember them saying like, oh, you have to like do research. You have to discover things and publish things. And I remember thinking like, I'm never going to do that. Like, I, I hate writing. I think I failed English like twice in high school. <laughs> and I remember thinking like. Like, yeah, that's not going to be me. No, like, um, but dreaming big, I think, oh man, like I said, like I didn't dream big in the beginning, like by any stretch. I, I in the beginning, I just wanted to build stuff <laughs> with wood, you know, um, <laughs> that was my goal. Um, but I think it's a lot of external motivation. So that's why I think it's really important to surround yourself with people that are a good influence on you, mm-hmm. positive people. Cause that's what I did. And, and they sort of saw things in me that you, that I didn't notice. Right. And I think uh, going day to day in your life, you don't really notice the things that you're passionate about, if that makes sense. Cause mm-hmm. I think the person that first pointed out that I was really into like machines and fixing things was my dad. Cause he's like, Hey, like you should have worked on other stuff like hours ago. What are you still doing? Like <laughs> fixing things. Um, so yeah, I think it takes a lot of external sort of people because it's, it's very hard for people to like zoom out and observe themselves and and sort of identify like, oh, you love doing this or you love doing that. But if you can somehow muster up the, I guess, the, or the discipline to do that and see what you're spending, like, what is it that you're doing that you could literally like lose track of time? Like, <laughs> yeah, and that's like, a passion of yours. Yeah. Like that must be a passion of yours. Right. Yeah. And it's really hard for people to identify that stuff. Like for example, like uh, my fiance, like she loves, I mean, she, she actually currently works as an engineer in an aerospace company, yeah. uh, but she, she loves talking to people and she loves helping people and she can be on the phone, like helping someone for hours. And I'm like, you're, you're a people person. Like, I'm pretty sure you, <laughs> like, you love like working with people. I'm pretty sure you, you'd make it as like a consultant or for the customer facing like something. Right. Um, but yeah, sort of, you know, having those people or maybe you can do it yourself, that's even better. Um, but with respect to dreaming big, I think, you know, other people have told me like, I basically like mentioned like, yeah, you should do this or you should do that. That's, that got me thinking. Right. So I didn't necessarily like want to be a professor like at all like <laughs> in the beginning. Right. Um, but it was other people that saw something in me that, I interacted with and I think that's really important um like learning how to network is really important so you can have these people to, to tell you these things right um but yeah they basically told me like hey you should you know be an auto tech auto technician 
And at that time, it, to me, it wasn't so much a stretch, right? Because I already worked my hands, you know, like I was very into cars, right? So I'm like, oh yeah, I can see that. Uh, but it sort of like, you know, st- stretched my horizons, horizons a little more. Um, and then once I got the grades and once I did those classes, it was the professors that told me, hey, you should keep doing this. You should get like a bachelor's. So, you know, obviously like that was a huge step to me. Um, but again, I had taken so many classes that it was only so far away. So it wasn't that much of a stretch. So I just kept sort of like, you know, expanding more, a little more every time. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that, you know, one of these kids in high school, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be like, you know, a theoretical physicist. Like, I, I would never, <laughs> could never do that, right? And I think it's really, really hard. Like, if, if your parents or anybody around you, like, doesn't necessarily have that education or like, you know, if you don't have those role models, like, you can never, you know, make that stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So finding those role models and those like mirrors to show you yeah. who you are and how you vibe off it. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, for sure. This has been super great, Chris. Is there yeah. anything else that you want to say or add or anything that you think we've oh, man. missed? Well, yeah, hopefully uh, somebody that doesn't take school too seriously can like listen to this and be like, hey, he did it. Because <laughs> I did not take school seriously. Like, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's never too late. I mean, I wish I would have done this earlier, right? Yeah. Because I realized I really, I really do like it. I really do uh, I consider this a passion. And I wish I would have, because I mean, as sad as it is, I missed out on a lot of years developing um, experience and developing, because you know, I've, I've only known calculus for like, <laughs> what, like eight years, as opposed to somebody that, you know, studied it in like middle school and stuff like that. So, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say I'm at a disadvantage, but I mean, I don't know. I can only, you know, <laughs> I can only imagine that it would it would have helped, right? Yeah. So I think it's a really nice reminder, though, that like it's never too late. Like you were saying, I feel like I knew some kids in high school who were like, you know what? I'm not good at this. It's over for me. Like that's the yeah. end. There's no turning back from this. And I think your story is like that's not true. Like even if <laughs> high school was kind of like Meh, whatever, you know, you yeah. can, if you set your mind to it, you can dream big dreams and like accomplish them yeah yeah for sure which is awesome okay so chris if anyone listening Mm -hmm. wants to get in touch with you to talk to you about your story or get advice from you or anything like that um how could they do that uh so i'm not on social media (laughs) but email i mean it's always good um yeah so should i just say my email then yeah okay so c p r e z at (laughs) stanford.edu cool and i can include it in the show notes as well yeah yeah for sure cool all right thank you so much this has been really great yeah no problem nice talking to you guys appreciate it thank you again to chris for being here and sharing your story with us As I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, I'm really excited to be branching out into all sorts of science disciplines and talking to scientists from across universities and outside of academia as well. So look for that on the horizon for this podcast. And along those lines, if you or someone you know has a great story to share on this podcast, please let us know. We're always looking for new people to talk to. You can always contact us at rootstostempodcast at gmail.com. And you can also find me on Twitter at StephanieKatie or on Instagram at ScienceStephanie. We would love to hear from you. Stay tuned for our next episode in two weeks.